listening to the Batman Universe Commentaries, brought to you by thebatmanuniverse.net. Join the staff of the Batman Universe as we watch another exciting incarnation of the Cape Crusader from his extensive media library. And welcome back to the Batman Universe commentaries. In this particular set, we are currently doing commentaries on the uh, Batman Brave and the Bold animated series. My name is Donovan, and today I have with me Chris Johnson. Chris and I are back to talk about this uh, really awesome series and this uh, much beloved yet somehow slightly underrated series. Uh, and uh, we're going to re- uh, record a couple tonight, and this one you're going to be hearing is one for. Legends of the Dark Might. Now, um, before we get into the actual commentary, and before you guys start watching along with us, maybe we should do some preamble because uh, I think it's safe to say that like this is one of the more notable characters in Batman's history that doesn't tend to get interpreted a lot to uh, the medium or the animated medium, at least uh, up until this point. And um, Chris, actually, I, I, I do know from uh, social media and Facebook that he has, actually is a... Uh, quite a significant fan of Batmite. So do you, would you <laughs> want to say what your thoughts are on uh, this character and how they were portrayed him in here? Yes, certainly. Um, he has had a, he has a, had a couple animated appearances. I know uh, in, I think, uh, I want to say it was in the 70s. I think there was a Batman Filmation cartoon that he was in. Uh, but he was just like one of those annoying um, sidekick characters that Filmation did. Not very, like, uh, Batmite-ish. I guess you could say, and then he had a small appearance as like a toy in one of the Batman the Animated Series episodes. Oh yeah. Um, but this was really the first time that Batmite uh, in other media was really portrayed with people like really trying to actually make him a character. Um, and like you said, I I have a blog that I update randomly uh, whenever I I get into the '50s Batman bug, I'll update it. Um, which is called I Believe in Batmite, uh, just because Batmite seemed, I think he's kind of like the poster child of the 50s Batman era, because mm-hmm. it kind of represents what people think of with that era, because he's kind of, he's a very goofy, lighthearted character. He's uh, reminiscent of Mr. Mixil's Pillick from Superman, mm-hmm. which he was clearly meant to be a takeoff of that. Uh, and that's part of what defines the 50s Batman era, is that they really expanded out the Batman cast uh, like they did with the Superman family right. um, taking that lead and what I like about Batmite is that he is Batman's biggest fan and he instead of Mr. Mixes Pillick wanting to just mess with Superman and drive him crazy all the time uh, Batmite is trying to help Batman in some circumstances because he is his biggest fan and he wants to you know fight crime with him then other times he'll like uh, mess with the villains. Uh, sometimes by accident. Other times on purpose to extend the battles out, just to see his you know hero uh, fight more. Uh, and I I think it's just a really fun uh, character. Uh, he doesn't really go with the uh, brooding Dark Knight take on the character. 
Uh, but I think he's perfectly uh, in line with the more fun, cartoony uh, takes on Batman. Uh, and I think people probably most know Batmite because Graham Morrison in his uh, first phase of his Batman run that he's going to be finishing up pretty soon, uh, he brought Batmite in as sort of a hallucination that Batman had. <laughs> yeah. um, so that's probably where people know him. And that was a lot, it was a very weird and not really uh, too much connection to the Batmite as he appeared in the comics, really. That was just sort of a uh, Graham Morrison, you know, deciding to have you know this guide when Batman was tripping out on drugs and everything uh, to have this sort of guide and have that be Batmite uh, because he had so many different uh, continuity illusions uh, through his uh, run on Batman that that sort of fit in there. Um, so yeah, and I think that they I I was really excited for this. Um, this was one of the things, after I was sold with the Aquaman episode, this was something else that sold me on the show, because for one, Paul Dini uh, was tapped to write the episode, and his resume speaks for itself. And right. then, uh, I wasn't so sure about Paul Rubens doing the voice, uh, but he is just absolutely perfect as a character. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I think that, uh, like you, I had seen one or two episodes of the series but this was the episode that really made me like from zero to 100 like love the show uh, I, I, we'll, we'll get more into it like when we watch the show and the sequence of events but um like the way they uh just portray Batmite and the way that like Deanie has because Deanie I think the brilliance of Paul Deanie is that not only can he write funny stories and dark stories and you know he was written on the anime series he has such a love and knowledge of DC Comics that he incorporates he incorporates them in ways which really stand up because he he actually wrote the uh, Macy's Piddlick episode from the Superman anime series. Yeah, I'm just remembering did. that. So like this is actually like this is the perfect guy to tap to uh, introduce Batman into the masses. Um, it's funny because I, I I have I say I have his first appearance, but like I have his first appearance collected in Batman in the 50s. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, and, that was the trade that got me into Batman in the 50s. Uh, that whole era. It, it, it did its job. <laughs> yeah, it did. <laughs> uh, I I just find it funny the way like Batman. I think Batman and Robin come home in the in Batcave and like uh, he's just kind of sitting there and like you know he's a it's extremely even for like back then. He's I'm not sure if Dick Sprang did that issue particularly, but sort of the Dick Sprang character designs. Oh yeah, that was um, Sheldon Moldoff. Ah yes, Sheldon it is Moldoff. first appearance. And Dick Sprang did uh, do Batmite in because Batmite and. Fixus Pillick teamed up in some of the world's finest issues, and Dick Sprang drew those, because he sort of, for a while there, was the main artist in the world's finest team-ups. Okay. So he drew him there, and he actually, it's interesting, because Sheldon Moldoff and Dick Sprang have different um, takes on him, because uh, uh, the Sheldon Moldoff take is a lot thinner, and uh, Dick Sprang kind of gave, a, gave him a little bit of a belly. Hmm, okay. uh, made him more rounded, so it's kind of interesting, because they... Um, just to see those two different takes, and I think, I don't know how kind of production would have been, because sometimes they did the covers first, and sometimes they did the stories first, uh, depending, but I think Kurt Swan uh, was the artist who did the cover for um, Detective Comics 267, so I'm not sure exactly who was the first person to design Batmite, it might have been uh, Sheldon Moldoff, it might have been Kurt Swan, I'm not sure. I'm sure it was credited for Bob Kane. Well, yeah. <laughs> Because Bob Crane, Bob Kane, uh, even now is responsible for everything. That has Beyond to be the grave. Yes. 
Um, that's interesting because yeah, his, like Dick's reign back then. I mean, I think it's sort of like uh, well-known knowledge for uh, like guys us like us who kind of come from a certain generation, but. It, like the people kind of growing up on like the Brave and the Bold and um, the Batman cartoon and the Nolan movies, you know, the sort of approaching Batman fans generation. For those who don't know, Dick Sprang was like the Batman artist in like the uh, late '40s and '50s. Yeah. Like the, whereas Kurt Swan was like about he was like the archetypical uh, Superman artist. I think Dick Sprang was sort of the archetypical Batman artist for years. I would say until um, Adams in the '70s. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, and he. Because sort of, because you don't really hear his name spoken enough, I don't think. Um, yeah. Because I, I put him. I think he's as important to, you know, Batman as like Jerry Robinson, Neil Adams, Marshall Rogers, mm-hmm. uh, Jim Aparo. I mean, he is up in that league. But because he was kind of, you know, in the Golden Age era and in the '50s era, where people don't really talk about that much. Right. Um. That I think he's kind of gotten pushed to the side a bit because I would I would love um, like they have these great Legends of the Batman and Tales of the Batman collections that DC's doing. I really think Dick Spring um, deserves a volume at least. Absolutely. I mean, they, they could get, they could do multiple multiple volumes because he did so much work on Batman. But I mean, just at least one volume. Um, and it's, and I, I don't really know what really I don't really know how to describe why I love his art so much, but there's just some quality that it has. It just looks so nice. Um, he just renders everything so well. Uh, one of my favorite pieces of Batman art ever is uh, the splash page to uh, the Batmarine story, uh, where he renders, you know, this uh, Batman sub and the underwater and Batman and Robin, and it just looks absolutely beautiful uh, in black and white. Um, and I'll send you a picture of it later when we're done recording. Uh, but he uh, just, like you said, is just one of the, you know, that greatest Batman artists ever, and is such a big part of the show. And I mean, you can see his influence in the art style for Batman: The Brave and the Bold. Uh, and yeah. we'll be talking more about him later when we uh, record the second of the commentaries we're doing, because he's integral to that story. Yeah, this is excellent. I mean, this is Dick Spring again. Uh, much more kudos than he, uh, much more kudos deserved than he tends to get. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, without further ado, if uh, all you kids out there <laughs> are about to turn this off, <laughs> yeah. uh, let's uh, get started with the show. So, hopefully, you guys are queued up with us. We are paused at zero zero for. Uh, the Legend of the Dark Might episode. I'm not exactly sure what, what volume this would be on the DVDs. I don't have the DVDs. Uh, we bought this off iTunes, so it's still legal. Yep. Um, <laughs> uh, so uh, if you're if you're paused, you know, right at black, right before Bugs Bunny shows up to eat, uh, we will uh, play the episode when I say the word play after a count of three. So without further ado, uh, grab your popcorn, sit on your couch, and get ready to watch Legends of the Dark Knight, Dark Might with Chris and I in three... Two, one, play. <laughs> so, uh, this is, uh, I don't want to say this is the first anime appearance of Catman, but uh, this is the first anime appearance of Catman in his classic Catman costume. Am I correct yeah. on that? Yeah, because uh, Thomas Blake actually appeared 
uh, in one of the uh, new adventures of what is it, Batman Gotham Knights? There yes. was a Catwoman episode in it with a, I think it was Cult of the Cat mm-hmm. that he appeared as Thomas Blake, but he wasn't in his classic uh, Silver Age costume. Right. And of course, people nowadays will remember him from Gail Simone's Secret Six. That's right. Yeah. But uh, he's very different here. <laughs> this 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 those eyes are very much like period. Yeah. <laughs> the cat eyes. It's interesting to note he is voiced by Thomas F. Wilson, who people will know better as Biff from Back to the Future. Oh man! <laughs> <laughs> I actually, uh, thanks to Josh Bertoni, I actually watched that trilogy for the first time a few weeks ago. So I got a big yeah. I remember him posting about that. that. Oh yeah. Because before I only knew him as you know Tony Zuko from the animated series, but uh, right. At this point, he's a uh, he must have, he must like playing uh. Uh, DC Comics criminals, and here yes. we have the uh, first appearance in the show of Ace the Bat Hound. Yes, who was another uh, character that has appeared before. Um, they did an interpretation of Ace in Batman Beyond, which was actually a really nice uh, bit of continuity. But uh, here we have Ace with the classic uh, mask. Yep, <laughs> which, which I find hilarious. And I, I remember, I think that's also in the '50s trade where. Uh, like, they actually say, we need to protect his identity. <laughs> yeah, they do. <laughs> it's just like... And I know there's some in-story reason for that, but I can't remember it. Um, but he is, he, like, uh, how Batmite was a resp- uh, takeoff of Mr. and Mrs. Pillock, uh, Ace is a takeoff of Crypto right. for Batman. Um, and it's cool, because I do like, after they brought him into the cartoon. He actually shows up a number of times uh, just hanging out with Batman in the Batcave uh, from now on. So it's nice that they brought him in and then they kept him around. I love the bit they do later on when like he's in the Batcave and makes his pit like his posing as him. Oh, uh, yeah. Cool. <laughs> like, oh, we'll get to that part. Um, yeah. We should also say that like, I think we've been talking about it, but they really did, uh, for those who don't know, in the 50s, because uh, Superman had the big Superman family with, you know, the, the Jimmy Olsen comic, and I think later on the, the Lois Lane comic, and um, uh, Supergirl came in around that time. Batman was ripping him off a lot. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, introduced was Batwoman, Batgirl, Bat, Ace the Bat Hound, Mitzi's Pitalik, and um, a lot of the weirdness uh, in, at least uh, some people's eyes, of Batman and the Batman family is kind of cribbed from Superman. Uh, there's there's a lot of comparisons there. Oh yeah, it definitely was. Um, and then they did their own kind of they, they, you know, they also had, for Superman, they had Comet the Super Horse and Peppa the Super Monkey, and they had uh, the okay. Bat Ape in one of them. Oh, right. in <laughs> I like this scene. Yeah. I, like, I love how, like, normal the crooks are. Like, they don't even know what's going on. They're like, okay, we give up. And then, like, they just get used by Batmite. Yeah. Now, I didn't know going in, I wasn't paying attention to the series when it first came out, that Paul Rubens was going to be a Batmite. I think yeah. I found out, found that out after the fact because <laughs> it's been a while since I was three and watched Pee Wee's Playhouse. But uh, I'm not sure if I recognize his voice because he does a good job. Yeah, he does. It's not the voice I would have thought to give Batmite, no, you know, seeing him from old comics, but uh, it really does work. Yeah. And it really kind of has that fanboy quality to it. Too. Yeah. Like, the fanboy that both loves Batman, and then, like, 
doesn't like it when it doesn't go his way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's not in this episode, but one of my favorite bits with Bad Might is when he's reading that issue of Who's Who about the Ten-Eyed Man. <laughs> oh, I love that too, yeah. That's a good episode. Let's see, this is this is to the uh, quality of Bad Might where he tries to make fights more interesting when he stops by. And so he's got, you know, from criminals to ninjas. I love that belt. <laughs> yeah. I actually think I, saw, I first saw Bat Might. There was a Legends of the Dark Knight issue that uh, Kevin O'Neill illustrated of um, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen and had Bat Might in that issue. And I, and I was too young to know what's going on. In fact, I, don't, I still don't know what's going on in that comic. But uh, <laughs> I remember noticing, like, Bat Might's little, like, sort of lazily drawn bat, lightning bat symbol on his chest. Mm-hmm. It's very observational. Like, he has a, like, a really crappy uh, dime store costume. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, that one was about this junkie, I think he was, who was, like, oh. tripping out and seeing Batmite. Right. And they, actually, and they did a Legend of the Dark Knight issue, and then they did a one-shot called Mightfall. Yes. Just to take off on uh, the whole Nightfall. Nightfall thing with, you know, they even had the Gene Paul Valley costume, like, with, like, these huge guns on it and stuff like that. <laughs> Yeah, it's been a while. I've, I've not, I'm going to get that book again. I remember it from the library. This is the part where you get the big uh, Batman fashion show, right? Yeah. This is perfect. I mean, th- like, the way he moves and, like, the animation is a bit cartoonier, too. Because, like, I think yeah. the animation generally is sort of, like, it's, it's fine, but, like, Batman's a bit more rubbery and a little more animated, like a, like a Looney Tunes cartoon character. Oh, here we go. <laughs> There's, um... Crap, what's the artist's name? Kelly Jones. Yeah, Kelly Jones from Red Rain. Right. And there's uh, Bad Ombre from <laughs> number 56. Adam West. Yeah. George Clooney. Yeah. <laughs> I love the nipples. <laughs> the zebra man. The zebra yeah. costume. Frank Miller, of course. <laughs> I think... Uh, I know they've done episodes in the past. I think uh, most notably in the animated series, where they kind of did riff on different takes of Batman. But I think, and I don't, I don't know, Paul D didn't write that episode, but uh, in this episode, he illustrates like Batman in this show very well. It's not like you know, he can't adjust his writing style to the animated series or the comics or whatever. Um, was did this episode come out when when Paul D was writing Detective Comics in 2006? Uh no, it would have come out later. Okay. Yeah, I think I. Had... I think the show started in 2008, I want to say. Okie dokie. Can't let remember. That costume's really bad. That's another thing I, I like about that's the show. another reason I love the show is because you would never expect to see Calendar Man. Exactly. In the cartoon. And they just caught the hockey, you know, how kind of goofy of a, of a villain he is. I mean, like, if, if you read the... Uh, Long Halloween, Dark Victory comics. He's it's a bit more creepy. Uh, I still like him, but like here, it's like because they did. They also did. I think it was in um, Shadow of the Bat or something where he kind of appeared and it was in that costume. But uh, this one, he's like you know, kind of matter-of-factly. Right. And uh, something that they talked to they were Batman and Batman were talking about earlier is how Batman's telling Batman that he does this to fight criminals that the police can't handle instead of for fun, and that's. You know, just another note on how, like, in this show, Batman's really played straight. Yes. Kind of you have the more 
uh, fun, cartoony stuff happening around him. But the Batman character himself, they keep very uh, straight and serious, except for the puns, of course, which are fine because they're great. The Uncle Sam's cracking me up. <laughs> I agree, though. That, uh, I think a lot of people who don't like this show kind of, kind of like, uh, it's a bit of a misnomer, uh, which isn't the right use of the phrase, but uh, they think that Batman's kind of jokey or whatever. He's like the straightest character in the show. I mean, right. he's joked. He's joked on, but like, it's kind of like um, how it always, even in the in the '60s show, he was just kind of like you know, he was doing silly things, but he was still taking it very seriously. <laughs> so, um, yeah. This, I mean, we've got Batman fighting against jack-o'-lanterns and Uncle Sam's and biker Santas. How can you turn that down? Uncle Sam's really made me laugh. That's a really that's a that's a novel idea. Yeah. Oh, this is the part where we get to Comic Con, right? Yes, that's coming up. Which has one of the greatest moments in the entire show. I know, and one of the truest moments in like Batman media history. Yeah. Because this is a, this is, yeah this if this came out in two thousand eight this would have been like you know Dark Knight year, where everyone was yeah I would have <laughs> there they are and I oh. can recognize our Andrea Romano and James Tucker in the uh, in the panel yeah Tiddly, Tiddly Winks. I love how many things they have in there but also that it's the two hundred sixty seventh which was uh, Ben Light's first appearance in Detective Comics two sixty seven ah excellent this guy <laughs> here's the line. Yeah. That's not my Batman. <laughs> They've got the whole panel discussing amongst themselves for this. How do, how do we lie our way to this? Yeah. <laughs> I think I see Dietrich Bader too. You know, it's interesting because I don't, I, again, um, not really paying much attention to the series when it came out. I'm wondering if this kind of actually happened at the Comic Con where they said we're doing a Batman cartoon. Because because my reticence was just the existence of another Batman cartoon. I didn't think it would be, I didn't think it was trying to distinguish itself from anything else because I wasn't paying attention. Uh, not that I was being light, so I'm wondering how many people really were just morally offended at the idea of Batman not... Here they are. Yeah. <laughs> Dini and Tim. <laughs> that, that Paul Dini design is, is like from that uh, Joker's Millions episode where he tried to be the Joker's replacement for Harley. Right, yeah. <laughs> but um, I really think it's kind of... I mean, you could just take a look at the internet. Yeah. Because, like, the internet... And, like, you're right about the Dark Knight being a part of it, too. Um, because... That, because that kind of represents so many things, like the idea that from now on, like all comic book movies have to be dark, mm-hmm. and you know, in the dark night vein, for them to be successful, that you know, people are, you know, debating about and like getting into fights about that as well, and just the fact that you know the Dark Knight has been grim and dark for so long, that like any like attempt for them to like have fun with it. Mm-hmm. It just see it just seems because it's been around so long that it just seems like that's not Batman. But you know, the point is that like there have been points in his history where he has been there's been a funner take on him that he has gone on goofier adventures and gone into space and fought aliens and things of that nature. Because he's from a comic book. Yeah, exactly. He's gonna be doing that stuff. I like this bit. <laughs> he takes no mercy on them. Hey, what's going on here? And he just like punches them out. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> it's a bit cold, but that's that's funny. Yeah, I like the design of the uh, the Batcave. Yeah, um, I love the Batcave. One thing I noticed, you know, in terms of like like 
old bat caves and new bat caves not that there's a real big difference but like up until like the 90s the mid 90s the bat cave was always sort of this kind of brown cave looking thing with you know lights and everything and now they kind of seem like they kind of just have it kind of a dark illuminated place which i like as well but like i never actually started to notice until i saw this cartoon and the bat cave kind of looked different didn't it and <laughs> i like yeah that's why we're like he kind of comes into turns into mixius pitlick by just torturing him yeah this is kind of him getting more mixy-ish i was watching um because because it, it, it's kind of like uh I guess more kind of like in the misery vein. Yeah. With fan and uh, creator relationships. I know for a fact that uh, one of those monsters is from a comic book. Com- yeah. Yeah, right? the rainbow one is from Batman number... I had it down here, 134. Uh, which was... which you can get in uh, the uh, Batman Black Casebook trade that DC put out. I've really been meaning to get that trade because I really want those stories, but I've just been too lazy to get it. Yeah. <laughs> I get right on it. I really do because I, 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 when I was a kid, I really loved reading these stories because it was a lot more applicable. When I would read the uh, more modern stories, because I was, you know, young, I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know who was killing who. And these stories were a bit more, they, they get you into Batman. So, uh, you know, they're not totally disposable once you hit a certain age. You can kind of look back on them with nostalgia and charm to them. Right. Those designs, like, like I don't know if there's Dick Sprang designs specifically, but those are very much like old school comic science designs. Right. Oh, yeah, this is just basically like just taking a trip to 50s Batman with all the sci-fi and everything that came out in that era. This is this is t- going back to the fifties Batman, like kicking and screaming. Yeah. <laughs> like, if no one knew that like he had this ha- this history or this past, they'll know now. Yeah. That's a nice. That's, yeah. that's, <laughs> <funny. laughs> that's a nice bit too. Yeah. See, this is also like genuinely funny. Like, it it has all these old uh, references which are kind of funny in themselves, but this actually has like legitimate, well written humor. Yeah. I think the idea that Batman would rather die than <laughs> play with Batman. Right. It's kind of funny. Oh, this is good. Was this a part of uh, that comic Might Fall where he kind of becomes Batman or am I misremembering that? Um, I can't remember. Because I really haven't read that in a long, long time. I've not seen it since. Yeah, it's been years since I've read it. And I do like how um, they keep the just black bat symbol and no oval. Yeah. Very 50s. <laughs> I love this bit. <laughs> yes. This <laughs> <laughs> face is awesome. Yeah. I, I do feel a little odd that they kind of use a lot of, like, DC villains in terms of, like, Gorilla Grodd's a Flash villain, but he appears in Gotham City all the time. I don't know how I feel about that, but it, whatever. Yeah. I see I see where you're coming from. I mean, I don't mind him being there, but, like, it's, it's kind of playing him a little bit uh, liberally. But, yeah. uh, what are you going to do? See, there's the bad eight. Yeah. Yeah. But it, 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 it kind of plays to Batman being, like, the center of this cartoon's universe. Right. Uh, which manifests itself in 
a bunch of different ways. Like, he gets, like, pretty much Superman... Like, one of the criticisms that people have with Batman is that, like, DC is too safe with him. Mm-hmm. And he has to beat everybody and can't, you know, be injured, really, and all... And, like, so he's kind of treated as all-powerful, which they kind of do at points in this cartoon. I think mm-hmm. that's kind of a criticism you can level against it. Um, this, this, is, this is, like, the, the my favorite bit in the entire... One of my favorites of the entire series. Yeah. Take and, on, the, uh, and this whole thing isn't a... Oh, yeah, you probably know it. Yeah, the uh, Duck Twacy, is it? Yeah, the Great Piggy Bank Robbery. This had me Thank laughing you. my butt off. All these... Like this. Yes. <laughs> that was my Facebook profile page for a while. Like, this was just awesome. Kite yeah. Man's coming up. Calling Mr. Freeze, Mr. Zero. That's with that old school. Yes. And say, Brahma! Yeah, I love the design on those and the kind of the effects they have on them. Like how on Killer Moth, how the arm kind of like cranks up, like you hear it. Yeah. Come up. Like Killer Moth. The old school design, um, Penguin and everything, like like the, the 60s uh, Mad Hatter with the mustache. Yeah. The orange and purple and green uh, Two-Face. It's totally the silver. Yes. This is brilliant. Like, and that, that original cartoon, Doug Twasey, it was was awesome anyway, but this like this is a great homage. Like this, God, like it doesn't make any sense if you've never seen that cartoon. I don't think, but uh, it's really well done. Yeah, they have the art style homaging the Looney Tunes at points. I know this thing coming up. The Joker House is uh, from like a, six, a late sixties, early seventies comic. Yeah, it was. Yeah, and I think like it was a, by Jewish Carlin Infantino who recently oh, right, passed yeah. away. Yes, yes, he did. There's some more references coming up on. I think I remember. Oh yeah, they do a ton of references. Yeah. Again, because they, they, they had so much fun with the character and they knew their stuff in terms of like old school comics. Again, I, I mean, I don't have a I don't have a infinite number of I mean, 50s comics, but I've seen them before. I've read them in collections and at libraries and stuff, so I'm familiar with like, Catwoman and Egyptian Head. Yeah, and the, the penguins and the clouds. Oh, I don't, I don't think I noticed that. Yeah. But like, this is just like, you know... Of a certain era, it it really Tiger Shark. Yeah. <laughs> Which, uh, he actually reappeared a few years ago uh, in the comics. That's yep. actually really awesome. <laughs> that's that's totally Looney Tunes. <laughs> this is this is insane. Yes. <laughs> I love that jo- that Joker does. I love the way they do the Joker in this show. When they when he's usually in there. Oh yeah, he's great. He's he's actually he's actually one of my favorite jokers now that where they did they did him. Oh yeah, they totally once again they totally captured the Silver Age Joker. Absolutely. I like how his freeze gun looks like an iron. <laughs> Tweedledee and Tweedledum. Who we saw in uh the Night of the Hunters. Yep. And gotta love how like a lot of this is dialogue-free for the most part. Yeah. It just let the animation do its thing. <laughs> oh, yeah, I see the penguins, yeah. Yeah. And while they... That, yeah, that, that is right out of... Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, it's to uh, an homage of the cover for Detective Comics 140. The first Riddler, right? Yes, I believe it was the first Riddler. Like that, that exact pose was just like. <laughs> and then of course Batman comes down to. Because he's Batman. 
It's funny because like, isn't this Batman's imagination or something? But Batman's you know taking control. I don't know right. exactly how it works. <laughs> yeah, it's really because he basically the way he defeated him was to prey on his fanboyism by having him become Batman. Okay. And then him narrating <laughs> the story to just have his ima- imagination just completely one run wild trying to be Batman to the point where Batman needs to bail him out of it. Yeah, I, that, I didn't think about that, but that makes a lot of sense because he is Batman. He has had such a love of him. Of course, he would take the situation over so incredibly easy. Yeah. <laughs> that Mad Hatter cracks me up. Yeah. <laughs> I recently, re- I recently, re- I got a. He's talking about the uh, Legends of Dark Knight collections. I have the uh, Alan Davis collection. Where Batman and Jason Todd go up against that Mad Hatter, who all he cares about is hats, and not Alice in Wonderland. Yeah, <laughs> it's, pretty, it's pretty good. I think there was a line earlier in the episode where he says, "You remind me of uh, someone my friend in Metropolis told me about." I think so. Yeah. Um, and because of rights issues, they couldn't use Superman until the third season. Oh really? I didn't know about that. I thought that they just held off on him. No, it was. I think it was a rights thing. Because uh, they definitely would, if they could have, I'm sure they would have put him in in the first season. Because of the connection between the two, but I think it was a rights issue that and Wonder Woman, I believe. Was it because like the the the, the Siegel stuff going on at the time? Probably. Because he was on Smallville. Yeah. Copper, Copperhead from. Uh... And I like the Green Arrow because I think he is a Green Arrow villain. Green Arrow goes after him. Yeah. This actually isn't a funny ending. I didn't see this coming. I think he was insulting Green Arrow earlier. <laughs> the M on the belt. Oh, Ali. <laughs> yeah, there. You go. So there you have it. Like this is this was the episode that like totally like captured my heart and made me a fan forever. Even though I've only seen like three episodes at the point. Yeah, and I love that uh, they have fun uh, with the show on a regular basis, but because they have bad money in this one, they basically just went, as they did in the episode itself, full Looney Tunes with yes. what they did animation-wise, with their gags, you know, with everything. And, it's just, and it is one of the best episodes of the show they did. Um, Absolutely. Not just because, because it's a hilarious because of all the references, but also like uh, the fact that Paul Rubens did such a great job is a big reason why I think that episode succeeds as well as it does. I know. It's, it's like... If you want anything else than, like, you know, uh, Christian Bale screaming, uh, then go to here because, you know, it's, it's fun, it's it's funny, it's very referential, and it's honest. You know, it's, there's not there's not a hint of insincerity to this. No, it's, it's like, very sincere. It's very, it's very loving of the comics mm-hmm. uh, material. Like, I mean, just, just like a homage to that uh, House of Joker Bill cover. Just something that, like that, but also uh, the fact that they have, you know, Batmite, and instead of, like, making him, like, a really, like, just a, a gag character, they, right. they give so much personality to him, and, like, that moment with Batman, you know, like, even though he was, you know, making his day absolutely crazy, the fact that he would have, you know, Batman reassure him and everything. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. So, this that was... One of the best episodes they've ever done, and I think I think honestly one of the best Batman media bits ever because it had so much fun with the, the history of the character. Right. Uh, I mean, just for the speech where he says, you know, well, this might be a lighter incarnation. It's no less true than 
you know, the darker incarnations, which is very true. And that's something that's great about Batman is that Batman is a character that because of his history, because it's so rich, because there's so many different interpretations, that, you know, there are so many different ways you can take Batman and get, and it would still be true to the core of the character. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's why I think the Batman's so appealing, because these ring true. Um, so, I think that'll, uh, that'll obviously do it for this episode, because the episode is over. Um, <laughs> hope you guys enjoyed that episode as much as we did, or half as much as we did. And uh, we will see you guys on the next Brave and the Bold commentary. So, uh, for the Batman Universe commentaries, this is Donovan. And this is Chris. And uh, you've been watching the Brave and the Bold. We will see you guys on the next episode. Adios. That's all, folks.